Entrepreneurship is so trendy now. It's so like cool. Everyone wants to have a startup. It's not for everyone. It's fucking hard. Like you gotta love rejection. You gotta love like fires because you're putting them out all the time. I think it's funny. People are like, I like entrepreneurship because of the freedom. And it's like, you traded in a nine to five for a 24 seven, 365 job, dude. It's all encompassing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Secret Leaders from Infamous Media. I'm your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is the UK startup podcast, where you'll hear unique insights from entrepreneurs in the thick of it, so you can take your business to the next level. Today, I'm talking to Andrew Gazdecki, serial entrepreneur and founder of MicroAcquire. MicroAcquire's proposition is simple. It's a platform that helps startups get sold by connecting them with buyers within 30 days for free. And it's working. Andrew's a unique guy, and this episode we cover everything from the cutthroat world of clarinet playing to diagnosing the problems between private equity and entrepreneurship. But first, let's go back to the start. I was um, born in Detroit. Uh, childhood, on a, candidly, it was kind of rough growing up. My dad, unfortunately, passed away when I was six. Grew up pretty much straight without a lot of means. I did an awesome childhood, though. We moved to um, a town called San Clemente. It's in between L.A. and San Diego. So it was like this this beautiful beach town. And um, I'd always go over to, like, my friend's house. And they'd have these, like, $10 million mansions and stuff like that. Like, high school parties in San Clemente were, they were sick. Because everyone was rich, um, except for me. I think at an early age, I've unpacked this with other entrepreneurs You'd be surprised at the amount of entrepreneurs that just when you really struggle and like you understand like what that is, it just builds something into you like a motivation or really directs you in a, in a positive way, sometimes a negative way. Like so a lot of entrepreneurs are like drug dealers, you know, they don't have money, they need to get it. So I started my entrepreneurial career just kind of hustling. What I mean by that is like eBay stores. I was making websites for all the bands, um, local bands in high school, and also doing photography for them at their shows, which was a lot of fun. I was really into like hardcore music, if you remember that. Um, Yeah, so life for me, you know, I think that really kind of defined me. At a very early age, I was like, I want to be a millionaire. Like, yeah, that's my goal. And I went to CSU Chico State. I got in with like a 2.4 GPA. I had very high SAT scores. That's pretty much how I got in. Harvard did not accept me, unfortunately. And uh, as soon as I got to Chico State, I knew from kind of like day one, I didn't want to get a job. I always have a saying, like some kids grow up saying they want to be like a pro football player or something like that. I was like, I want to be a CEO of a company. So I was very fortunate to find my passion in business at a very young age. And it happens to, you know, pay well, but that's not why I do it. I, I love building. I love creating stuff. Some other fun facts about me, which is kind of embarrassing. You see really like extraordinarily good at the clarinet. The story is um, my parents, my mom. So I have uh, two brothers and a sister. I'm the one in the middle. I'm the favorite. They made us all play band through middle school. It was embarrassing because everyone did uh wood shop or something like that like the fun things but no i had to play clarinet so i was first chair on eighth grade uh win ensemble band it, it, band is kind of weird you can do this thing called like challenge 
because there's the first chair and like a second chair. And then the way that works is like the second chair can challenge you for first chair because first chair you have like certain solos or I don't know. And they'd always study like super hard. You get like basically like a page of music and you do it after class. And um, they'd always like study for like a week and I wouldn't even look at it. And I'd still, I just understood it. Um, And then, yeah, chess. um, We had chess after school club stuff. And um, one time I beat a grandmaster in fifth grade. And then I remember this moment of like, whoa, like, is this like the next Bobby Fisher? The guy like demanded a rematch. Um, I remember this and he beat me the second time. Cause I think he wasn't expecting me to beat him, but I probably have like 30 chess trophies. I'm not that good now. I was good for like a fifth, sixth grader, but I think that also played into um, played really well into business as well. Cause in business, you want to be thinking, you know, 10 steps ahead, not two. Um, you want to be, you know, predicting your competition's next move and building a defense or an offense around that. So as I understand it, like researching on your journey, you went straight from uni into running a business, right? So your passion, like you were so clear about what you wanted to do. And I guess this is interesting to me because I didn't have a fucking clue what I wanted to do when I, when I left uni. In fact, I did art history at university, which essentially is like a total waste of time. I just really liked it because I'm like nerdy. Talk to me about like what you did. You like, you know, you finished college and what did you do? How did you get set up? What was the idea? Yeah. So I used to do this thing in college where I'd start a new business um, every summer. So I started three different businesses. Um, but the the two noteworthy ones was um, a job board called Phone Freelancer, which, which is a terrible name. And the idea was to connect iPhone developers with businesses. This is when the iPhone first came out. So I'm at like ground zero of like seeing how the iPhone is changing. Cause all my friends who could afford iPhones, they had them. And like, I was like, this is it. And we're going from internet to mobile. Like I need to get in on this. So I call those paradigm shifts. I'm always on the lookout for those. Like I think internet, mobile, blockchain are probably the biggest um, paradigm shifts we're going to see uh, for a couple of decades. So I, I jumped on that and I'm not a technical founder. And so what I did was I bought a, let's call it like an Upwork style script. You can buy like a whole script of eBay if you want. Um, and I just niched it to mobile developers. No, specifically iPhone developers because there were no Android developers at the time. And I kept noticing that people were posting the same type of job over and over and over. For example, they would post, I want an app made for my high-end luxury hotel and I'll pay you 50,000 for very simple functionality. And so I would take 10% of that commission of that project. So I started making decent money and I ended up selling that business for um, like 50 to hundred K or something like that. And I always joke around in college because I went to college on like, you know, student loans like that. So that money was like, I felt like I just literally got acquired by Google for like $10 trillion. But the reason I sold it was I thought, you know, there's these do-it-yourself website builders, do-yourself like everything stuff. Why isn't there a do-yourself mobile app builder for small businesses? And so that was the seed money for business apps, about B-I-Z-N-E-S-S apps, which was essentially a no-code app builder. We started with iPhone apps, eventually moved to Android apps, progressive web apps, we almost made a BlackBerry app, but so early we were. So I went a fifth year in college to work on business apps 
funny story there. I minored in entrepreneurship so I, so I can get the student loans so I can like stay there and not have to leave and get a job. So I didn't have any, anywhere to go after college. So I was like, okay, and, you know, like trying to get a job. And then, cause I knew starting a company is what would make me happy. And so, you know, I made it like, Hey, like keep me in here for another year. Let me see if I can make this work. I'm glad I did. By the time I graduated, the business was doing well over a million dollars. And I graduated, I graduated with a 2.07, which is the lowest uh, GPA of any student. Cause you have to, you have to graduate with a 2.0 or above, or you can't get a degree. And so I, I've confirmed I have the lowest graduating GPA of any Chico State alum, which I'm very proud of. Talk to us about like how soon you left college, you started a business, like how long in between was that period? You know, did you spend a lot of time thinking it through? Like, did you just like rush straight into it? And also just like psychologically, were you not scared of the risk that you were going into or do you feel like, did you feel like even then it was much riskier to take a real job? Way riskier to take a real job. I mean, when you take a job, like it's a trap, it's a fucking trap. Like, you know, you get a job, you buy all this shit you don't want. And then, you know, you feel like you're doing well, but like you aren't really answering the question like you should be answering, which is like, what do you really want to do in life? And it's definitely not that, job you have you may be at like google with like good health insurance you're like i'm doing great i got health insurance it's like but are you happy is this really what you want to do like you're going to look back like in 30 years and be like i'm really stoked i went to google for 20 years or something like that so i started the company in college so i was enrolled in college and taking classes so when we graduated we were um doing well over a million in annual recurring revenue so there was no gap straight from the classroom to being CEO of, of business apps, which was a, a, a humbling and thrilling and a, a definitely a business where I just kind of got lucky. Like the iPhone just came out, like businesses were scrambling to figure out how to hire mobile developers or what, like what's a good iPhone app for businesses. And so we kind of pioneered that a little bit. We've been disrupted over and over and over with other, you know, mobile app platforms. But at one point we were making more mobile apps than any other company in the world. Like one in every 20 apps submitted to the iTunes app store was created on the, the business apps platform. So we kind of pioneered it a little bit. We had several companies like copy us, like literally to the point where they copied our bugs. Um, Cause there were some things in there that I named after myself, like Gaz. And we could look in their source code and I'd see gas. I'm like, nice. Some of them are still around and uh, they're worth millions now, which I think is cool. To, to back it up, my original plan, like I had no idea business apps was going to be successful. So my plan was to really just make business apps um, to a point where it would just sustain me. I thought it was just going to be a digital agency where I just had a low cost way of building apps for small businesses. I grew it to like, 50,000 in recurring revenue. And then I eventually raised a hundred thousand from local um, angel investors. And that was the only capital we, we, we ever raised. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. 
The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. You're like obviously very vocal with your opinion on, you know, how fucking great it is to be an entrepreneur and how awesome it is to be in a startup, like all of that stuff, right? How do you like reconcile that narrative whilst also trying to encourage people to come and work for you, right? It's so interesting because you like go out publicly and you're like working in a startup, working for anyone else is fucking stupid. Unless it's for me, by the way, because that's obviously amazing. If any of my employees quit to start a company, I would probably help fund it. I've actually done this for someone. We encourage entrepreneurship within MicroQuire because I want a micro mafia, you know, the PayPal mafia. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want that. I want, I want all my employees to quit one day and start SpaceX and Yammer and Yelp and all these other YouTube and all these other big public companies, but entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. So it's about understanding like, you know, who you are as a person. But I think really what I think about a lot is just the fear of regret is so much heavier than the fear of failure. And I think a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs and they just never take that shot. And then they get to like, you know, a certain place in life and they're like, damn, I wish I went after that. And and that's kind of like what I, I hope to encourage people to think about is like, what do you really want out of life? You only get one of these. Um, So maximize it. Like don't, like sit on the sidelines and watch all these great companies being built. And don't be that person that was like, I had that idea. Like I thought, you know, like no excuses. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur and I will preface this with entrepreneurship is so trendy now. It's so like, cool. Everyone wants to have a startup. It's not for everyone. It's fucking hard. Like you got to love rejection. You got to love like fires because you're putting them out all the time. I think it's funny. People are like, I like entrepreneurship because of the freedom. And it's like, you traded in a nine to five for a 24, seven, 365 job, dude. Like, no, <laughs> like maybe some entrepreneurs have figured it out, but I think that's kind of like a feel good sort of quote of entrepreneurship, but no, it's all encompassing, you know, what you want to do 
is you want to get yourself to a point where you're so passionate about something. It's like your favorite video game. There's nothing you'd rather be doing. And that's when you're not working. And that's when you're going to be the most successful, in my opinion, is when you truly, truly, truly enjoy what you're doing. It's like, it's all you think about. I always say on the weekend, some people like to play tennis or some sport. I like to play startup. I love it. That's kind of like me as a person. I need um, creativity and I love helping people. And I love seeing just like the outcomes of like when you work really hard towards something and you're successful, that's what gets me going. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's risky and it's definitely not for everybody, but if my whole team quit today and said, Hey, Andrew, I'm starting a company. That's entrepreneurship for you. Shit happens. If I lost some of my best team members, I'd obviously, you know, would miss them, but I would encourage them, you know, and I'd support them. But by no means would I be like, oh, now I got to rehire. This is so hard. I don't know if I can do it. Oh, uh, no. I just go straight into, you know, recruiting. I'd see if I can backfill. Like I would, I would address the problem. I wouldn't worry about the problem. I keep a journal where I write kind of like a summary of like how each month is going, where I think we're going to be in 30. It's nothing weird. Like if you found it, be like, dear diary you know just like a summary of um how work is going what i've found is like every major problem that i've ever faced in business when i write it down in my journal and i check the next month so i write it i get notifications like hey it's on writing journal the problem that I, I was most concerned about the prior month i've already forgotten about it like it's just gone so i don't dwell on it i just address the problem and that's where i go back to focusing on execution Basically, another thing I, I, I think about is like, okay, going back, team just quit. I have two things I, I, I like to write down. Stuff I can control, stuff I can't control. Team just quit because they all found their passion. They all want to start a company. I can't hold that back. Um, true story, my um, uh, current head of marketing, I won't hire him because he has an agency that is doing really well. It's called Brand Arrow. So if anyone needs help with um, Facebook ads, but I encourage him. I say, no, you cannot join. And we're like best buddies. Um, one of my really, really good friends. That's my view is, yeah, like if you got a dream, chase it. I want you to be happy. I view my, my job as making everyone on my team extremely happy and ensuring they have everything to succeed. And, and if starting company is above the list of working at MicroCore in terms of their happiness, Let's figure that out. Let's make it happen. Love it. Okay. So, I mean, just to, just to come back slightly onto the journey, you start with a hundred K with business apps. By the end of the journey, you've exited it. You're a 29 year old founder. You've, you know, you've not bootstrapped it, but pretty much, I mean, that's, that's barely any funding whatsoever. What was your exit? Who to, how would that process go? How competitive was that process? Was it like a huge pain in the ass? Did you have like randoms getting in touch with you? Did you have to go and reach out to people? Where did this experience lead you for insight leading into microacquire? So I've never, I've never shared the sale price. I never will. I've only shared it with my wife, my team kind of made like a promise to her, like, cause I don't want to be known for the, you know, some people are like, oh, that's the guy who sold XYZ company for XYZ amount. I want to be known for helping entrepreneurs. It was a low A-figure exit, uh, sold to ESW Capital, private equity firm. They're like a $50 billion fund or something like that. Optimized for terms over price. 
because sometimes when you get acquired, you have like a four-year earnout. I'd get to month three and I'd quit. <laughs> like so, we did an all-cash transaction. Uh, it was a stock purchase agreement, so we benefited from QSBS, which QSBS means um, up to the first ten million of the proceeds of the sale, you have zero federal taxes. So you save twenty percent there, and you only pay thirteen percent state because uh, I was in California. Uh, then they bought the cash on hand. We had two million cash on hand, so they added that onto the purchase price. Quick due diligence. We closed in thirty days, and I negotiated me being out of the business in ninety days. It was a pretty surreal moment. It was like, whoa, like what's going on? Um, and we had some other bids from other companies, um, but it required earnouts. It just didn't feel right. Um, I had been in the business for again since I was twenty one, and I was twenty nine, so eight years. And I wanted to prove like I can start another successful startup. I didn't want business apps to be kind of like the only thing I'm like I ever build. I'm always going to be building startups. Even after MicroQuire, I'm sure I'll continue building startups my whole life just because, again, I, I love it. And so, yeah, that was kind of like my holy shit moment. Like, whoa, nothing's going to be the same after this. Um, didn't do anything crazy. Basically, just bought a house. That's it. That's all story. What did you learn from the experience that then helped you think about micro acquire your next business? Just that it's really hard for companies to get acquired. I was shocked at how many entrepreneurs reached out to me after we announced acquisition. Like, how did you get acquired? Like, did you use an investment bank? Like, and it opened my eyes to like how there's books on fundraising. There's books on positioning there's books on growth strategies there's books on how to name your start everything but how to sell your company uh and i thought that was weird i don't know why and so i saw a void in the market especially on the lower end so if you have a bootstrap startup or you're doing it's let's say you know one to 50 million revenue or something like that there's a huge gap in the market in terms of optionality to sell those businesses and so I just kind of built MicroQuire, how I would, like if I was going to list business apps on a marketplace, what would it need to look like? It need to be private. I need to have full control over, you know, who sees my private information. We're building in a full advisory directory where you can hire a broker, you can hire an investment bank, you can find an attorney. Because the way we did it was I got light advice from a friend that's an investment banker. Um, just to keep kind of emotions down. Uh, he did it for free. And uh, law firm was a referral from uh, my mentor, Christian Friedman, who was um, the lead angel investor. Uh, and that's kind of how it went. And then the whole time we're like, I don't know what we're doing. Like it all worked out, but it just opened my eyes that I think the future of the small business economy is going to be online, profitable and digital. And those aren't the companies that Google wants to buy. Maybe some, but uh, for the most part, no. And I felt there needed to be a marketplace that helps entrepreneurs find liquidity if that's what they're looking for. Before we get like into that part of the story, I think you've obviously taken a lot of insights from your experience building that company, and then you're trying to apply them into this new category. When you went out to like, you know, explore the market, like what you actually need to do to create micro acquire. What did you learn? Like, as in what, like, strategically did this marketplace look like 
Um, how do you strategically think through what you needed to do and think about how much you needed to raise? And obviously, one thing it's clear that you've done super well is think through your narrative. So think through what is the uh, hero's journey that you're going on and who you're bringing along the way with you as your cheerleaders. So I'd love some sort of insight there if that was all planned or that's just sort of come about naturally as you're learning. So other people that are starting up afresh can can learn from you too. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't really much thought put into it. I just looked at, like, for example, I didn't know brokers existed at all. I thought it was just investment banks and above. And then I learned they were taking 15% commission to do these fairly simple transactions. And I, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, are there any other options? Like, whoa. And then I started to hear about just like, kind of like the disdain of founders, like kind of feeling like that's the only option for a lot of businesses to exit. I thought, hey, what if we just made it completely free? Like, okay, founders, you get the same access, to the same buyer pool, here you go for free. I did that for 10 months, no business model. So I launched with no business model and no idea how I was going to make money. And uh, over the time, the business has just evolved. So I guess my best advice is, you know, if you have a business plan, just rip it up just straight burn it because as soon as you launch, like that's when you're really going to learn the most. I've never seen someone say, Hey, I'm going to do this. And so it's going to work. And then when they launch a startup, that's exactly how it works because you want customers to shape your business. And so I was on live support. I was answering every customer support email. Um, so it was just kind of built with like, it sounds cheesy, but like love and passion. I like really wanted to build something for the startup community. That was really meaningful. And so I took in, you know, buyer's advice, seller's advice. That's how you build a business. You know, startups are really just an idea that you just iterated over and over and over and over and over and over. It's not just like, hey, this is Airbnb. Like that was just an idea. And then it evolved over time. That might not be, again, the best example, but I think you get the point of, um, just get to market as soon as possible. Start talking to customers. Like all your assumptions are wrong until proven right. So your job is to get to market and prove that what you believe is correct. I didn't even know MicroQuire was going to work. I mean, you're like listing a startup for sale on a marketplace. It's completely different from the other options, but it turns out to be a more efficient, faster, and easier way for founders to sell their companies. We have companies that list on MicroQuire that get valuations from, you know, some well-known brokers. We help them sell for sometimes two to three times the amount that the broker would um, value their company at. I never thought that would happen in a million years. Just move fast, listen to your customers, talk to them often, and then talk to them more and then implement their feedback and build something for them because they are your customer. They have the answers. You're not Steve Jobs. You know, you're not the guy that's like, I want a thousand songs in this little thing. Like you're not that good. Uh, you might be, but you're probably not. I know I'm not. Okay. So, um, give us some like macro picture of, of where you're at, right? So when did you start? How much did you raise? What have you achieved so far? And where are you, I guess, on your, on your roadmap? It was just me to start. Uh, I launched it in January of 2020 on product hunt. We got, uh, product of the day, which was pretty cool. And then ran it again for 10 months. Um, so far we've raised like 6 million bucks. 
but that wasn't until like 18 months after launch. So we really proved like the worst time to raise money is when like, like you raise money when you have a rocket ship built and you know where to put the money. So after we raised capital, I hired back my former VP of engineering, my VP of product, my COO, uh, creative director, head of content, Kevin, head of marketing. Yeah, we're at uh, about a million in revenue. Uh, we're about to launch a M&A directory where you can hire brokers, bankers, M&A advisors, attorneys, wealth advisors, accountants, due diligence experts, everyone involved in um, an acquisition. And you'll be able to do so at a lower price. And then they'll be able to handle negotiations on your behalf, to be able to upgrade your profile, whatever you may need, they'll be able to help you with. And then you can find people that uh, work in a specific category. Maybe they focus on e-commerce, maybe they focus on SaaS. Like think Upwork, like think about all the brokers in the market right now. And they all say they're the best. They all got a 98% like close rate and stuff like that. Do you know how you get a 98% close rate as a broker? You take on very few startups and you value them very low. So it's like hitting a ball off like a T-ball stand. Like, of course, this thing's going to sell. Like, um, So we're going to have reviews. Like, who really is the best? Because everyone says they're the best. But these are going to be reviews from entrepreneurs that they've worked with not case studies written by the broker where it's just kind of like, all right, that sounds good. Um, and that's going to bring trust and transparency to this really fragmented uh, market. That's kind of our goal. Like when you think of like Zillow is probably the best analogy where, you know, we want to have like an MLS of all startups listed. And then when you find one that you want to buy, um, you can hire a realtor to help kind of facilitate the process of unit financing. We have that as well, or other tools. Um, to help you figure out what is your startup really worth based on real market data and not just some formula some guy made up. I think it's really interesting to see how you're approaching partnership. So partnering with one of our one of our former guests, one of my friends, Harry Hurst. You know, for example, like in my old business, um, it ended up failing, but we almost got acquired. I've seen firsthand the very real scenario of the squeeze. And the squeeze when you're kind of close to fumes, you're kind of close to something brilliant, but you're not quite there. I think the things that you're doing, approaching it with other really innovative financing models and stuff, just make sure that the negotiation isn't hampered by certain do or die scenarios or decisions that have to be made by certain times, giving people a much fairer opportunity to get the right deal through with the right partner. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of founders on Microware will list with the intention of selling in like six to eight months. Like they want to build relationships with people. It took me five years after meeting the private equity firm for them to eventually buy the company. Like sometimes like meaningful acquisitions take a lot of time. Like you got to build the relationship. You got to show that you can perform. They got to meet your team. And then you start getting a little bit more serious. So definitely agree with that. And then, yeah, if you have like a startup that these aren't my favorite acquisitions, but I think they're very valuable to a lot of founders where if things aren't going well, you know, you build something of value instead of just shutting it down, like sell it, you know, sometimes like, you know, founders build these jobs that they don't, they don't want to be in. And so we give them, you know, the ability to, you know, exit the business if they choose. And then on the other side is there's buyers that are perfectly fine with the business doing one to 2 million in revenue. And they don't feel like they need to build a unicorn and go on, go on the, the VC funding. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word of the, 
Yeah. Hamster wheel, merry-go-round. Exactly. We understand each other. I'd love to know what your perspective is then, like on, on your business, what you think you're going to have to achieve in order to get there. Are you going to have to go on a big VC trail yourself? Do you think that you're going to inevitably, as your ambitions grow, go through that experience yourself? Or have you got plans to try to stay off it? I will never raise money from venture capitalists ever. No. I got a couple good ones on the cap table now, but no, once you go down that path, it just You mean you mean individuals, sorry, you don't mean you mean venture capitalists, human beings, not funds. I mean I mean specifically funds. Like I'll never raise like a series A from XYZ fund. Um, cause it's ridiculous. You close around and they're like, we'll catch you on the next round. And it's like, what, like what happened to building a business in, in between that? And I think there's such a huge misalignment around what founders really want in terms of an outcome and what VCs need to show return. I don't want to play that game. So what we've done at microquire is we've modeled out a really lucrative business with the capital that we do have. So there's a very good chance we'll never raise funding again. And a part of that is, you know, bootstrapping business apps helped me like really understand like how to build a a business very capital efficiently. And that should be the goal, build a capital efficient business. And then if we ever did want to raise money, we can set the valuation and say like, Hey, like you want to put money into this, this is our terms. Like we don't need you. You need us. Not to say like all VCs are are bad or anything like that, but I just think a lot of entrepreneurs focus way too much energy on that because it's so easy to raise venture capital right now for some entrepreneurs. Like you got to stay focused on your business, your team, your customers. That's where your focus should be, not because Series A turns into Series B, then Series C, then Series D, and then next thing you know, you're at Series Z, and then you got, and then you're working with all these people you don't want to work with. And they're all on your cap table. They're all telling you what to do. You got these like stressful board meetings. I don't have any of that. I just have most of my investors are entrepreneurs and they're all badasses too. So they were, you know, invite only, but, um, I recommend raising from entrepreneurs over VCs for sure. 100%. You get better advice, better perspective. They've been there, done that. You know, a lot of VCs are kind of like couch quarterbacks. They're like, I've, I've seen a bunch of stuff. But it's like you can watch a movie a thousand times, but if you haven't lived it, like you don't know what it's like. I think that's spot on. Um, I've done exactly the same thing with Heights. I, I lesson I learned as well. So, you know, I've raised entirely from entrepreneurs and it's a lot more fun. Like most challenges that you're going to have in a business, it's more helpful to be able to call up another entrepreneur and ask them how to solve it. Yeah. I mean, my, my most helpful investors are ones that like some put in like 10K into the business. And they've been extremely helpful because they they love to build business. Like it's kind of like they're on the field. They're like, let's build this thing. I think VCs really start stepping in when it's like, oh, I'm gonna make some money. Uh, like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess the other thing is like, you know, the more money, the more venture capital that you raise, the more ridiculous your exit has to be. And that's the other problem with that that whole thing, which is that you you start to get into some vapors. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand uh, liquidation preferences, like. You know, what's really sad about raising a lot of venture capital is um, even if your company performs really well, uh, let's say you raise 50 million and you sell for 75 million, the founding team and the employees are going to capture very little of that upside. Like they're basically walking away with back a napkin mat, like 
million bucks, something like that, like 500 K because investors are paid back first and then they still get a percentage of that sale. That's kind of a bummer. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs would be very happy with a $50 million exit. There's like, what else do you need? Unless you're like a weirdo that needs like a private jet or something like that, which I don't understand that. And even if you do, you could just rent it. But yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Like, why do you need to rent a private? Just get on a plane, man. Like, go, like, come on, don't be like a weirdo. I don't know. Rich people weird me out. There is one founder that I really respect and he hires someone to like, fit out his wardrobe and stuff so he looks super fly all the time and we're in a pandemic and i'm like what are you trying to get on zoom all the time like uh we're good friends but um yeah but it's unusual i would i guess i guess put broader is i don't understand um people's obsession with making a ton a ton a ton of money i guess that's probably like the weirdest thing for me is like if you have five million bucks you're set just go get a five hundred thousand dollar house pay for it cash, put it in a boring index fund, you're good. But some people like just keep accumulating cash and just like, I don't get that. I'd love to know, you know, on that note, really, do you think that we'd be making more progress as a society if there was less adulation for building unicorns and getting fucking rich, but more fanfare over building those, those you know, 5 million to 100 million type businesses that are still going to give great outcomes, but ultimately distribute the wealth and success more broadly. Yeah. Most startup ecosystems, like the reason Silicon Valley, maybe not today, but you know, was kind of the ecosystem of startups is there was entrepreneurs that had previous exits. They had worked at companies that had went public. And so that money flows back into the startup ecosystem. And I think right now what we're doing is we're, creating these really unrealistic goals for entrepreneurs. We're basically saying like, hey, young entrepreneur, why don't you go climb that the biggest mountain in the world? You have a 1% chance, but you can do it. You can do it. But like statistically, no, you cannot. And then I think that entrepreneur, again, would be perfectly fine with like a 10, 15, $20 million, $50 million exit. Like the only thing that really changes, like when you go from like a 10 to a hundred million dollar exit is your house gets bigger and your car gets faster. Nothing changes. Like you don't get, you're, you're not happier. Like, trust me, like, in a, like looking at your Charles Schwab, like mobile app and like the numbers got like another zero on it. You're not going to be like, Oh, I'm so glad I got that extra zero. I mean, maybe if that's kind of your thing, but yeah, I think, you know, expectations for startups have kind of gone through the roof. And again, going back to the point of getting capital from investors being so easy, it can be really, I really fall back to entrepreneurs just not understanding what they're signing up for. I'm all for the founders that are built, like you mentioned, you know, Pipe, ClearCo. They're building amazing companies, helping thousands of entrepreneurs. That's badass. I, I love founders that build billion dollar companies. But I think that is only realistic for like 1% of entrepreneurs, not 99%. Um, and I think, the majority of entrepreneurs are chasing that outsized outcome when statistically that's only going to be concentrated into like a, a group of entrepreneurs and the rest are going to fall short. And so I guess what I try to get across with my narrative is, you know, there's an alternative path that will make you happier. That's more realistic. That's more achievable. And that's what I think you should do. And if you want to go big, I mean, I, I'm not like anti VC. I, I don't, 
my only gripe of VCs is like they give advice on how to build companies and stuff and they've never built one. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong, but it's like, come on, if you're so good at building companies, go, go fucking build one. Like if you have all the answers, like go, go build a billion dollar company. You'll make more money doing that than investing. That's the part. Like if I knew everything about investing and I started tweeting about investing and I'm not investing, there'd be a little bit of a call out there. Uh, Like go invest, Andrew, you're so good at it. Um, And that's kind of my take is like, if you're so good at like pattern recognition, which has been proven to be bullshit, you know, they're throwing darts. And I always say, go shoot shots. Um, I would love to see um, the whole entrepreneurship, the whole startup ecosystem. This goes all the way to media too. Like the media writing about stuff that like is just, it's just all, it's just a VC, you know, fan club. Um, and I think that leaves out, you know, so many entrepreneurs. And so that's another thing we're trying to address is where back when I started in, you know, building business apps, like it was, it was an ecosystem like built for entrepreneurs, like by entrepreneurs. And I think it's really kind of been commercialized to this uh, machine. And I think there's going to be, you know, a point where entrepreneurs start, running the biggest venture capital firms or they start, you know, running the biggest media companies. Um, cause writers have never started companies. I don't know what to write about. Um, they're just kind of fed like the stuff that gets clicks and stuff like that, but they don't have a deep understanding of what entrepreneurs really want and need to hear kind of a rant, but, um, those are, those are probably my two biggest gripes with the startup ecosystem is just, we painted a very unrealistic picture of what startup success is for founders. And I think that's really skewing a lot of founders in the wrong direction and pointing them down a path that they don't want to go down high risk of failure. And there's an alternative path that no one talks about. And that's kind of my message. Awesome. Love it. Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. Massive, massive good luck and success for micro in the future. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week is Ali Abdal. I'm speaking to Ali, a doctor and influencer who I absolutely love. He teaches genuinely useful things like how to stay focused and not get distracted. Find out how you can improve your productivity next week on Secret Leaders. This episode was hosted by me, Dan Murray-Serta. It was produced by Rich Martel with editing done by Lower Street Media.